Thank you. Thank you, music team. I appreciate that so much. And uh, this is uh, just such a privilege we have uh, because of what we can do with technology uh, that we can uh, be invited into your home uh, and, and to share a service where otherwise we would be shut down. And so I want to just welcome all of you who are watching with us today. I'm so glad that you could be here and to be a part of this. And I trust that God has blessed you already, as I know he has me in our time of worshiping in song and, uh, and in scripture. And uh, I just, uh, I trust that uh, uh, we don't know where this is going but we're thankful for this opportunity to share with you in this way. And so I'm going to uh, I'm going to look out there and I'm going to imagine that I see you all here together with us. And now some of you may be in your pajamas watching and just chilling out and I just trust that God will have a special blessing for you. Um <clears throat> There is uh, uh, leadership is a critical issue in our world. Uh, John Maxwell, a leadership guru, uh, said this, everything rises and falls on leadership. And we know that that's really, uh, there's so much truth to that in, uh, in it. And uh, we know that uh, there are some people who have used their power and their authority and their leadership abilities and gifts uh, for, for very nefarious purposes and, and hurting others. Uh, leaders have the potential for great good or also great wickedness and evil. Hey, you think of some of the dictators that have uh, existed, uh, people like Hitler, who, who took the, the persuasive gifts that he had, the leadership ability he had, and uh, he used that power and that influence to stir up people, to try to eradicate the Jewish race, uh, to take over the world in essence, uh, one, uh, one country after another marching through. And, and millions upon millions of people died under the leadership of some of those uh, those kinds of people. Then there was a, a young Macedonian girl born in 1910. Agnes was her name, and she had been uh, fascinated with stories she'd heard about missionaries. And at the age of 12, she decided to commit her life to serving God. And uh, she would spend the largest part of her life in India, in fact, in Calcutta, India, uh, where she would serve under the name of Mother Teresa. She began as a teacher, but as she saw the pressing needs, uh, the poverty, the poorest of the poor, those who were dying in the streets, those who had nothing to eat, uh, her heart was moved. She was disturbed by the, the misery and death that she saw experienced by so many around her. And so she felt called to live a life uh, amongst the poorest of the poor. And it was through there, through this opportunity, uh, that she influenced thousands upon thousands of people. Uh, she met the needs of the, the most, uh, the poorest, uh, the lepers, the abandoned children, uh, the former prostitutes, the mentally ill, those with AIDS, the aged who had no one to take care of, and hospice for the dying. She, just, she determined that uh, she didn't want to see anybody die 
uh, that was not loved and wanted. She was awarded a a Nobel uh, Peace Prize for that. And I had, uh, a number of years ago, I had the privilege of being there uh, at uh, the home that Mother Teresa had started for uh, for the sick uh, and the dying, and I was I was touched as that goes on. And in fact, she started a whole uh, missionaries of charity movement, and has uh, today I believe about forty five hundred people committed to serving in that way. You see, we can take and use leadership for very positive, good, uh, and and helpful ways. Or we can use it for very destructive, selfish ways also. And uh, the bane of wicked leaders was something that was on the heart of Jesus' mind. <clears throat> in, the, uh, in the Bible, leaders were uh, often referred to as shepherds. It was a way of speaking of a leadership gift. Uh, David was a shepherd of God's people. Uh, and uh, as, as we look through the Bible, we find that um, there are false and true shepherds. Uh, There were good shepherds and there were bad shepherds. And in fact, in ancient Israel, um, in Ezekiel 34, the whole chapter is dedicated uh, to what it is to be uh, a, a good shepherd or a bad shepherd. And uh, here's what uh, Ezekiel says. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord, the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel. Woe, you only take care of yourselves. Should, you not, should not the shepherds take care of their flock? You eat the curds, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. This whole chapter is dedicated to speaking to the leaders of Israel and what they should be like and what they should do. And and, uh, here they were with this terrible example. And in Jesus' time, uh, he was well uh, understanding and cognizant of the the bad leaders that Israel had had at the time in his own time in the chapter before this you remember we talked about Jesus the light of the world and on the heels of that comes jo- uh, John chapter 9 and in John chapter 9 there's uh, the story of the man who was born blind And Jesus sees him and engages him. And Jesus tells him, uh, he takes some, some spit and some mud and puts it on the guy's eyes and tells him to go and wash. He goes and washes and he's able to see. I mean, his, his whole life he's been blind. And through this miracle, he's been able to see. And, uh, when this message gets to the leaders, uh, the religious leaders, they want to investigate and see what's going on here. And, and uh, they had a big problem because this guy was healed on the Sabbath. And they have laws about the Sabbath, what you can do and you can't do. And, and here they were concerned, not that this 
an incredible miracle and sign was performed, but that somebody healed this guy on the wrong day of the week. And uh, they called him and they asked him, and he says, I don't know, I don't know who did it, some guy named Jesus. Uh, they brought his parents in. Is this your son? It's our son. Well, how does he, how does he able to see? Well, we, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He, he tells them, it's, it's this guy, Jesus. And, and so sadly and, and, and terribly, um, they threw him out of the synagogue. The religious re- rulers, they, they tossed him out. He said, he said to them, uh, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. And, and Jesus heard what, that they'd thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of God, the Son of Man? And he said, I, tell me who he is so I may believe. Jesus said, you've seen him, and that's who you're talking to. He said, I believe. And, and yet Jesus, on the heels of this, Jesus talks about good leaders and bad leaders and, and he's speaking, actually, to the shepherds of Israel, the religious leaders. And uh, uh, in Jesus' time, uh, he knew what it was. They were trying to kill him already. And, and one of the, the terrible, worst things that had done, when Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, and we're going to look at that, they want to kill Jesus, and they want to kill Lazarus because he was, he was kind of uh, uh, evidence that Jesus can do these kind of things. That's how terrible the leadership was. And, and so uh, Jesus says to them, these Pharisees, these religious leaders, verily, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. Uh, Jesus said, I want to talk to you about leadership. He speaks to the religious leaders, and he's speaking these words to them. He's, who, who is a good shepherd? Who's not a good shepherd? Who is a legitimate shepherd, and, and who's not? And, and Jesus well knew and understood all of these things. And uh, as he sees this guy thrown out of the synagogue and ostracized and criticized, and, and they refused to believe, and they mocked and derided this man, uh, they excluded him, and Jesus said, I want to talk to you about leadership and who, who are proper leaders or not. And, and so he talks about the one who has access to the sheep pen and who comes in through the gate, but he said there, there are others who, uh, who don't do that. They don't enter by the gate. They try and sneak in. They have, they have devious motives and desires. And uh, I want to show you what a, a picture of a sheep pen would have looked like back in Jesus' days. Here we've got uh, a stone wall and an enclosure. And uh, what you would do is you would put your sheep in there. And, and they had a couple of different kinds. At certain times of the year, the shepherds would stay out in the, uh, in the, the fields day and night with the sheep and would move them around. And at other times, when the weather wasn't so good and in the winter time, they would often come back at night and they would put the sheep in this enclosure. And it would be a community kind of thing. And so you may have several shepherds that bring, and, and their, bring their sheep into this a sheep pen and uh, there would be somebody at the door 
And, uh, and that's why he says there, if, if, if the uh, gatekeeper knows you, he'll let you in if you're legitimate. If not, uh, you don't get in. You have to sneak in. You have to go over the wall. They would, they'd have not only the wall, sometimes they'd put uh, brambles and thorns all around the top to keep uh, the animals and, in and keep people out as well. And, and so he, here, here they are, and they're, uh, they're in this thing only for them. They're illegitimate. They're no good. They're, uh, they're breaking in another way. They're not going in the legitimate way. And, and so Jesus, in his time, uh, we need to understand that the sheep that they, uh, they raised were not predominantly for meat. They were for uh, wool. They were for milk and uh, making curds and cheese and things like that. Um, and they were, they were cared for. But the people who want the, uh, who, who are going to steal them, they're thieves and robbers. Uh, they come illegitimately and they have wrong motives and, and, uh, desires for them. And, and so here they are. And Jesus wants us to know that, uh, that there are good leaders and bad leaders and that he's trying to help them understand. You know, it's the same way in our church. Uh, we need good leadership. We need people. We need godly leaders. In fact, we're just beginning uh, our discussions and putting together a, uh, a nominating committee so we can uh, seek the, the mind of the Lord on who should be leaders. And uh, there's a call for good leadership in the church and in fact, in First Peter 5, uh, there's a description uh, Peter gives us of what these uh, good shepherds uh, and leaders in the church should be like. To the elders among you, Peter said, I appeal as a, fel- a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock. Care for God's flock uh, that, that are under your care. And, and so even in the church, we have leaders who are called and charged by Christ to care for the flock, watching over them. Not because you must. You're not doing this because somebody's forcing you to do this. You're doing this volitionally because God has uh, moved upon your heart to do this. Uh, because you're willing, as God wants you to be willing. Not pursuing dishonest gain. You're not in this for what you can get out of it. You're not in this to serve yourself. You're in to serve others um, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, not, not being harsh and, 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 uh, and, and uh, just trying to bully people to get your own way. Uh, but be examples to the flock, living examples, caring, loving, sharing. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you under shepherds, you'll receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. It's so important, good leaders. And so Peter is, or uh, <clears throat> excuse me, John is, uh, Jesus is going to go on and tell us something about what good shepherds with their sheep look like, what they, what they do. Uh, and he, he says, the shepherd, the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. It's interesting in this. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was a child, my grandfather kept sheep. Now, I wasn't around them much, but uh, I, I tell you, one, one Easter, 
my grandfather put his favorite lamb, his pet lamb, in the back of the station wagon and on Easter Sunday afternoon came to our house and we let this lamb loose in our backyard and all the neighborhood kids came and it was so cool to have the sheep. Now, one thing that I discovered about sheep is that sheep are not the brightest animal in the world. Um, They're needy. Uh, they're, they're, they can wander off, they can get into danger, uh, they, they have uh, d- trouble with that, and they have few defenses uh, against particularly things like uh, uh, wolves and, and, and thieves and robbers and those, those kind of things. And, and so uh, when, it, when the sheep needs a shepherd, the shepherd he calls his own sheep by name. It's, it, it's really quite marvelous. He's able to distinguish one from another uh, by the markings on them, by their size, by the peculiarities, by things that they do. He knows every one of them by name. He knows what they're like. He, he, he understands them. And um, when he comes, he has this intimate relationship with him and he calls them by name and he leads them out. And when he's brought out all his own, he gets them all out of that sheep pen. Um, Then he takes them with him and he goes ahead and he leads them. And and each one of them in in that flock follows the shepherd. He brings them out. He calls them out. He goes ahead and leads them into good and right places. And they know his voice and they follow him. And they never follow a stranger. They won't go. Now, I used to, I used to have uh, dogs that I uh, uh, had trained, uh, German shepherds. And uh, when I could go someplace with that dog and I could uh, tell him to lie down or to sit there and I could walk away and he would stay there. Um, if, uh, if somebody called him, you know, or one of, one of my dogs, come here, or tried to entice him, he wouldn't go. But the moment I said something... We have a relationship, an intimate relationship. He doesn't go with somebody else. When I called their name, they're right there and follow. And, and that's the picture of the shepherd and the intimacy he has with the sheep and how, how he knows them each individually, how, he, uh, how they respond to him. One word and they, and they follow him. And Jesus says um, that this was... He, everything he was giving here, he says it, it was a, uh, a figure of speech. It was something he was trying to teach them or uh, something to know about. Um, and he does that, but they're dull. The religious leaders are dull. Remember, he's speaking to the Pharisees here. And he says to them in their dullness, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees didn't understand what he was talking about to them. They didn't, they didn't get the point. Well, like, well, we don't understand what you're saying. Uh, of course they didn't. And so Jesus goes on in, in verse 7, and he tells them this. He tells them that he is the gate for the sheep. I am the gate, he says. Therefore, Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. He says, I am the gate. Now, what happens is sometimes you would have uh, a sheep pen 
out in the field somewhere. You wouldn't come home every night and entrust the, the gatekeeper uh, to watch the sheep at night and then take him out the next morning. You'd stay out in the field sometimes. And that was a little bit of a different uh, construction. And here's a picture of what a sheep pen would look like. Now, you see the sheep are in the pen. They're safe in there. But do you see where the, the shepherd is? He's lying across the entrance. He is the gatekeeper. He, he's the one, he said, I'm the gate. And, and there he is. You can't go in or you can't go out without his knowing. And uh, he, had, uh, he had a staff and he had a crook and he had a sling. And, and uh, he could take and, and uh, would have something to defend the sheep, to protect them, that kind of thing. And, and so here he is and he says, I want you to know that I'm the gate and, and here's the, there's the picture of the gate. There he is, uh, protecting in a, in a place of, of, uh, making sure only certain, uh, animals get in or out. They go in only as he is allowing them. The access is through Jesus. All who came before, he said, uh, were, were, uh, false prophets, zealots, uh, religious leaders, including them. Uh, but Jesus' sheep didn't listen to them. He had nothing to do with them uh, because they had an unfamiliar voice. They would not follow him. And so this access that he has provides three things. First, he's the access to salvation. Uh, they didn't respond because they didn't know him. Uh, he is, he's, they're unfamiliar with his voice. And they couldn't be duped. They couldn't be seduced or tricked. Here's what Jesus says. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus said, I am. He said, there are not a lot of gates. There are not a lot of ways. There's one gate. There's one entrance. Uh, and, and he himself is the gate. He's the entrance. Uh, Jesus at that gate. And, and he, pro- he provides this benefit of salvation. Um, entrance to the sheepfold for the people of God, into God's people, into the place of salvation. Uh, that entrance he protected, he guarded. It was only through him. And, and the only way to be saved was to go through that gate, through that opening with, that Jesus uh, provided. That was the only way. That was the only belief. Uh, Jesus was asked the question, uh, what, what, do we, what do we have to do to do the works of God? Do you remember the, the, what he said in John 6? He said, the works of God are this, or to believe in his son. It's not about what you do to work for it. It's not about what you do to earn it. It's not about what you do to merit that salvation and that relationship with him. It's by grace through faith alone. It's not of works. It's a gift of God. And Jesus is the exclusive means of that. Um, that's why, that's why he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin to be the exclusive access for him. In John 14 and uh, verse 6, uh, a verse we're going to be looking at in a couple weeks from now. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to God is through Jesus. 
Jesus would also share in, in Matthew's gospel. He said this, because that sheep motif runs all through the New Testament and the Old Testament for, uh, for that matter. And uh, he says this, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. And and he's saying this, I am the way, I am the exclusive way to God. The only way you can get in is through me. And and, and the Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians 2, access to God for Jew and Gentile is through Jesus alone. Let me ask you a question. Whom Whom are you relying on for your salvation? Or what are you relying on for your salvation? Is there something that you think you can earn it? You can do something that God will be pleased with you, that God will um, grant you this uh, acceptance and forgiveness of sin and all the rest by, by what you do? Absolutely not. There's no way. You can only do it by trusting Jesus, putting your faith and trust in him and what he did when he died on the cross for us. That's the only way we find acceptance and forgiveness and inclusion among God's people, to be in that sheep pen of God's people. Well, secondly, uh, Jesus is the source of security, freedom, and provision. He's the one who provides He's the one who sets free. He's the one who is, uh, provides uh, provision. It said they will come in and go out and find pastures. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Um, we, we have those people who want to kill and destroy and, and cause problems. They can be in the religious world. They can, be in, uh, they can be in the academic world. They can be in politics. Uh, they, they think that... Uh, they want you to believe that they have the way and the means of, uh, of providing for your life. But Jesus is the one. And now he says, they'll come in and go out and they'll find pasture. They need nourishment. They need security. How, do they, how is it that they come in and, and go out? Because they're secure. You know, one of the things about sheep um, that you discover is they, they can't lie down. They can't settle if they feel uh, a lack of security. They will not lie down. That's why in the, that's why in uh, uh, Psalm 23 it says, "He makes me lie down. He, he puts me in a place where I, I have security." And so here he talks about being able to go in and out, have security. You're not worried. You're not worried the, uh, about the wolves and and the um, the false uh, shepherds. Uh, because God will provide that for you. Uh, there's no fear in the coronavirus. Uh, uh, the coronavirus. Uh, we have. We don't have to be afraid. We have security in Christ. Uh, but it wasn't so for those bad leaders, abusive, oppressive users, what they could get out of people, how they could hurt them and steal and kill and destroy and and slaughter the animals and and eat them. Um, really bent on destruction. Jesus, though, will lovingly provide everything we need and the security we need for him. Well, the third and the last thing that he does for us is this, as that shepherd. He is the source of abundant life. 
in, uh, in chapter 10, the last part of chapter 10, he said, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, when Jesus speaks about life in John's gospel, almost virtually every time he's speaking about eternal life, eternal life that we have in Christ, that this life would pass, that we, we all would pass from this life at some time. But, but Jesus promised that we would have eternal life, uh, that death's grip would be broken, that the last and most feared enemy of ours would be defeated, uh, that death and destruction would give way to light and life and victory. And this acquisition of eternal life is augmented not just by virtue of quantity, that it goes forever, but there's a qualitative life also for him. Uh, there's a, a flourishing, there's a super abundant life that he has. We don't walk around as glum uh, uh, people who, who are living the most miserable life. He said, not only did he say that you'd have life, but you'd have it to the full. And the word there is super abundance. It's a flourishing, it's a purpose-filled life, it's a life filled with well-being and joy and fulfillment. That's what he has. And that comes through Jesus alone. The reality is that it's available to us. The life is available to us because he gave his life for us that we might live forever. And through his death, on a cruel cross, he paid the penalty for us. And he offered us freely as the gate entrance to receive what only Jesus could provide. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, if you have not yet trusted him, if you haven't put your faith and trust in him and gone to him exclusively and looked to him exclusively uh, for your forgiveness of your sins and salvation and eternal life, then you need to turn to him and put your faith and trust in him. It's interesting, though, there's an interesting part of this, and that is that you know, we all also have a gate in our lives. We also have uh, a place where we can invite in or keep out. In fact, Jesus would write uh, a letter to letters to seven different churches in the book of the Revelation. And the last one of those was to the, uh, to the church at Laodicea. And Jesus acknowledged uh, that this a uh, church that was rich, it had abundance, um, they, had, uh, they were self-satisfied, they were spiritually tepid, their hearts weren't in it. Uh, oh, they were Christians, they would say, but you, you didn't see it, you didn't know. They didn't live uh, in such a way that they, uh, they responded to Jesus' love for them. And Jesus said to them, you know, you have a door in your life, you have a gate in your life. And in, in that gate, you can shut me out or you can open it and, and invite me in. And Jesus said to these believers, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. I'm standing and I'm knocking. And, and if you'll open the door, I'll come in and we can eat together. We can have fellowship. We can have sweet times together. And, and we can have that fellowship and you know what? You can bar the access to that. It's interesting to me. There's a, 
in a uh, an art gallery in London, England, there's a picture by the Raphaelite uh, uh, painter Holman Hunt, and he writes a, a he, he painted a picture of this particular uh, verse of scripture, and there are vines growing up around this door. But the interesting factor about that door is this: it has no door handle on the outside. Jesus won't kick the door down to come in. He waits to be invited to come in. And, and you and I uh, have this incredible Savior who is a gate, the exclusive means of coming to faith and salvation and life and, and everything he has for us. And he wants to have fellowship, deep, warm, close fellowship. Can you imagine that? That the, that the king of the universe that the ruler of the universe is so intimately engaged with us that he says, I'm standing, I'm standing, I'm knocking at the door and I just hope you'll open the door and we can spend time together. And I pray that if you haven't gone through the gate into salvation, you'll do that. And I pray for us who have gone through that gate and who are trusting Christ that we'll hear the knocking of him. And and sometimes, you know, there's so much noise and busyness in our lives and in our world that we can't hear the knocking of Christ on our door. My prayer is that you would open your heart's door to him also, and you would find the delight of that relationship with him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this truth. That, that the hope of life eternal is in Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, I thank you for what he has done in giving his life, that we might have life eternal, and not just eternal life, but an incredible life, the most rewarding life. I pray, Father, that you would help us if we haven't taken that step to do that. But I pray that you would help us also in knowing and recognizing that um, we, can, we can only have this through Christ who wants to have a close and intimate relationship with us. And so I pray, Father, that you would help us to have our arms wide open, our hearts open to your Son as he, as our wonderful shepherd, loves and cares for us and uh, provides for us everything we need. We praise and worship and adore him in Christ's name. Amen.